Hello guys, Isabella Ritz on Amazon Made Simple Podcast and today I have two guests who are the best partners, they're partners in crime and they're husband and wife and they created business worth to share the, with the world. And uh, Josh and Becca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for accepting this invitation. It's really very important for me and for our audience as well. Hey, thanks, Isabella. We're happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, I'm I'm more excited than you think. <laughs> okay, so of course, I'm going to ask about your background. However, um, I was uh, when I was listening for your podcast uh, with Kevin King, I was impressed how you guys created lots of items together. You're not like this, like you're not old people who have like a lot, like years of experience behind your back. And you created, I think, you, if I remember well, you started your business in 2015. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. 2015. So within eight years, you're at eight figures, correct? Yep. Eight figures. I remember how you've been winning this case of money at BDSS. That's <laughs> right. Have one, this picture. <laughs> one, uh, won the case of money at BDSS. That's my claim to fame right now. Our kids thought that it was does. pretty cool. <laughs> That's right. Bringing home a box of ones in a suitcase. Becca was a little suspect. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That, that was uh, that that looked like that and uh you guys created all these um designs and the calendars and different type of invitations and like educational stuff that we probably are going to talk about today just from scratch and i saw how you brought to six figure and sales some of the asins just complementing each other is that right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so where everything started, like why Amazon? Why did you decide to do it together? Who were, who took initiative to like, okay, Becca or okay, Josh, let's start doing the business on Amazon. Or like, I'm going to create the designs. How good, like why and how, like tell us this story, please. Yeah, for sure. So we moved to Texas in 2014, mm -hmm. is that right? 2014. Yep. Um, so Josh actually had a corporate job lined up after graduating college. And so we moved here. We had both just graduated. I'd graduated in education. So I was getting ready to teach. Um, but as I looked for a job out here, I just didn't feel the passion for it. And so Josh had a great job and he was like, stay home. I know you love doing design, like teach yourself, do what you want. And so I spent that first summer that we lived here teaching myself everything there was to know about graphic design, about Adobe Illustrator, um, and from there, I started doing a lot of custom wedding invitations for friends and different people. And that really is what got us started and got us started working together. So Josh is a great sales guy. And so he helped me to get brides on our list every week or every every day. Actually, we got super busy. We had like two to three brides scheduled a day. It was really fun. That's when the team effort really came. We'd work together at nights and I would be designing. He created like a whole funnel on Facebook to get brides in and signed up and everything. And we were busy. We were having so much fun, but it was a ton of work. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what else can we do? And Josh had been studying a lot about Amazon and we were like, should we try it? Let's test it out. And we ended up testing out some recipe cards on Amazon that did pretty well. And we're like, okay, maybe there's something here. And from there, we tested out different products and tried different things. And here we are. 1,300 like <laughs> 1, SKUs later, here we are. Yeah, so it really was a team effort. So it's 1,300 SKUs. Uh, when I was looking on Amazon, you have more than 2,000. So I believe you have a lot of variations on top. Yeah. And, and there's also, we do a little bit of merch by Amazon as well. Then you have uh, your bundle listings, which we're not taking into account of that, those yeah. 1300, but 1300 SKUs that Becca has like personally designed each one of them. So if we're going a little bit back in time, um, you decided to do this wedding invitations. Did you guys test the market? Did you take a look like uh, how it's going to work? Do, I, do you actually have a demand for that? Or has it been like, okay, let's just do wedding invitations because it's working for us already? That kind of came alive by itself a little bit. Um, my friends were asking me, and so I was doing it for them. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. I really like this. And then Josh helped me test the waters to see if there was a market out there. And, you know, people put a lot of time and money and effort into their wedding. So it's a great market to be in. And so, I mean, 
Yeah, really, it was, it was just an opportunity that we really fell into. Again, Becca had some friends that said, hey, would you mind designing it? And that was her first like wedding client it was like she was doing it for free just to like learn more about uh, Adobe Illustrator and, and be able to like test her skills out. And then that friend referred another friend. And so it kind of created this mini snowball it, to a point where I was like, hey, maybe there's more to this. And for me, I'm a business guy through and through. So I'm like, there's got to be more. If you're already having a lot of people refer you, then surely we could go and attract the right type of clients. And so I joined, a, I think, a thousand different Facebook groups on Becca's Facebook account. <laughs> I ruined her account. But then I acted as Becca in all of these wedding groups that were, you know, brides of Dallas, Texas, brides of South Carolina, brides of Florida. It didn't matter where they were, but they were predominantly in the US. And what I would do is I would just scroll through those pages. And most of the time you would find that search term at the time was ISO in search of, and then people would be like, you know, wedding invitations or rental booths or whatever it is that they were looking for. So I would just hit control F and I would find any of the people that had mentioned invitations um, in those wedding groups. And then I would personally DM them again, using Becca's account. And I was like, Hey, I design wedding invitations. Here's a link to my website. I would love to give you a free quote. Here's my form. And then from that form, it, it put them into this funnel. And then I had a whole kind of like sales sequence that I walked people through to get a deposit, get them booked on Becca's calendar. Um, and so it was really our first opportunity to like cut our teeth into the business world, but it was a lot of fun. So Becca got busy because her husband decided to. <laughs> it was definitely a team effort. We did it together. We loved it. We were working at, like late nights. We had our first son. We'd work when we put him to bed. We'd work during nap time. It was a team effort. Yeah. I feel you guys. Like I got my baby a week ago. And right now I remember like it's like 20 years after. Like I had my first one 17 years ago. And right now I'm generally speaking going through the same cycle. Uh and uh yeah, it is kind of fun, like because like we're still working with our business and they have Amazon too and agency and like also it's like no sleeping nights. But yep. still fun, like when you're building business, it's always great. So when you, uh, I understand when you're running business and you're going on a calls with your clients. And I believe most of these wedding uh, invitations, they've been customized based on the person uh, requirements, correct? Yeah. So when you shifted from there to Amazon, it's still be customized and personalized stuff or it's already something else so our it's business transformed yeah no so we kind of ended up stopping doing the custom wedding invitations we moved into physical products so same if you would walk into a target or a walmart and you'd buy a calendar or a notebook or a set of invitations that's what we sell on amazon the custom wedding invitations were separate um, and then we moved on to physical products on amazon that are not customized they're all designed by me and then shipped in and fulfilled by Amazon. So it, it really was, it was kind of a, a pivot in the yeah. business. And we had to focus on what, what type of business could actually scale. That's what was going on in my mind. And I remember, you know, we had, uh, we had crossed the six figure mark just doing the wedding invitations. Um, but I had ambitions of turning this into a multi-million dollar business, even with just the custom wedding invitations. I remember telling that to my sister and her like jaw hit the floor. She's like, wow, like you, these are some bold aspirations that you have. And so that's when my ideas started turning like, okay, how could um, we turn this business into a multi-million dollar business? And, you know, one option was, okay, we're already capped out with the amount of time that Becca can spend designing products. Like she had a six month wait list just to work with her like that's how much like demand we had in order to work with becca but she's one person and we couldn't add any additional clients like you could not squeeze any more time in in a day now with as a young family like that's not a sustainable business like that's what we're going to plan on doing for the next forever is just like being married to this business where you were just slaving away and dealing with clients all the time right 
And so yeah, there's no way to scale if it's just one person and you have a waiting list forever. Yeah, exactly. And and we had discussed like the other option was to, okay, we, we go and find other designers that could start designing with you um, and try to copy and paste Becca, but that's much easier said than done. Um, and, and again, another reason why, you know, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's, it's hard because Becca's an amazing designer. It's challenging in the fact that like, we have never been able to find another graphic designer to be able to match the talents that Becca has. Like she is definitely like a world-class, like one of the best designers in the whole world. Like I'll flat out say that, not just because she's standing here and I need some brownie points, but in the, in the reality of like, we have looked so many times for graphic designers over the last eight years. And we have never found anybody that kind of compares to that. So again, that's where we're like, hey, let's not deal with the, you know, employee personnel problem side of a business. And let's go find something that we can mass produce that would allow us to be able to scale up our business. So as soon as we took the dive into Amazon, our first year on Amazon, we did over a million dollars in revenue. And it was just the two of us with an assistant. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, we we knew, okay, now we're on to something. And that's where we put the wedding business behind us and, and move forward from there. First of all, I feel you with the graphic designers because we are working with graphic designers. And to hire one, we're probably going over like 150 uh, resumes. Out of 150 resumes, we're given about 10 to 15 paid test jobs that they're mm. completing. And sometimes we're ending up with hiring zero. And then this, like, we're going over and over and over again with this circle. We have our um, eight, nine designers right now that are working full time and we keep searching for the new design designers all the time. I feel you here. It's a pain. Uh, and it's very hard to substitute someone who is really good at it. Uh, and I saw you guys designs. They're really impressive. So you have a proven strategy why you're actually selling because the design is definitely good. Yeah. And, and it's not here, the fact yeah. that we don't have any designers on our team, right? Like you have graphic design assistants that assist Becca with different components, but the overall um, design of the product specifically, like we have good designers on our team, but Becca is the only one that touches the actual like products that go out to market. So there are still, we found good graphic designers to support us in very specific ways in the business. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's the importance is like, we've learned where like Becca's specialty is. And where you can delegate. Yeah. I learned about you guys that Josh is the nerd of the keyword research and PPC. So he knows this stuff. So he can find this high demand, low competition, and he can find the niche. But a question to you. So when you're creating the design, how do you know that this design is going to work? And do you test your design or not? Like what the process you're going through from A to Z? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, it's really a combination of so many things. Um, honestly, it sounds silly, but part of it is just living my life and being out in the world and seeing what I feel like is trending in the media and Target and Walmart. You know, it's just being out there. And I, I'm very observant that way, I would say. Like when I walk around the store, even with my kids and I'm like dragging them around, I'm like, we're going to walk down the stationary aisle. You know, like I just like to kind of take it all in. So I feel like I get a lot of my ideas from the world around me or, you know, um, that's probably one of my biggest things, honestly, is noticing those types of things. Um, and then, like you said, when it comes to the product itself, we have done a lot of research to try and figure out what products we think will do well. There are a lot of different ways we can and sometimes do test out different designs, whether we ask our audience or we hop on to PicFu or different things if we can't really decide between things. Um, but it's really a combination of all of that and things that we know have done well for us and that we like, but I love just seeing what's trending in the world around me and finding a way to make it my own. And I love color and design and all of those things. So that's really my magic sauce, I guess. <laughs> well, and I, I yep. think that's the, that's the challenge of like, there is no repeatable process yeah, that we've Becca tried. does. 
that's like, oh, you do A plus B equals C all the time. Like Becca will often come home from Hobby Lobby, for example, and she's like, OMG, I am seeing this pattern everywhere. Like this is new. I'm seeing this starting to come out. Like we need to stay ahead of this trend. And so really it's Becca, like she said, just kind of like living her life and observing like, what are the upcoming trends? Because Amazon is honestly like the last place where you will see a new trend come out. Like Correct. typically Amazon is like the last, like it's, it's kind of a dinosaur as it relates to that. Um, it, yeah. But, when you go on Amazon, it's pretty much copycats. I came yeah, up with the exactly. rainbow and then everyone is selling yeah. this rainbow unicorns yeah. and it's all over the places. And when you're looking like, is it anything else there? And that's why this purchase rate is always, not always sometimes when it's like design related, like lower and lower and lower and like why people are not buying on Amazon because yeah, Amazon is like dinosaur there. You're absolutely correct. And I agree. Uh, so one when thing, you guys go real ahead. quick, Isabel, I think one thing to note, like Becca talked about, like using PicFu, right? PicFu has been semi-helpful, I think, to an extent. So many of our polls end up 50-50, though. But they end up 50-50. <laughs> but then even then, and even when we pull our audience, it's like we have our customer list, right? So we'll send out a text message to our customer list and we'll ask people to vote on their favorite designs. There is a distinct difference when we get feedback that way in a survey versus what people are willing to do on Amazon when they're actually voting with their dollars. And so honestly, it's it's bring a lot of ideas to the market and see what sticks. Um, and at the end of the day, like it costs a lot of money, right? To be able to manufacture um, and produce products. But we're at a point in our business where it's like, okay, we can afford to do 31 different types of designs for a specific product. Um, but it wasn't that way when we first started, right? We came out right. with three designs for our first product when we first came out. But that's that's the advantage we have in our business now is like we can kind of go and monopolize all the different trending designs before and, and beat the market to the punch, so to speak. I agree here. So just to confirm, you guys are tasting Pickfu, and you're testing the results based on your audience, your email list. And if if I remember well, it's something like thirty thousand people, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, my memory is still there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, sometimes you deliver a child, and then you're forgetting yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah, but uh, still sharp, which is good. Confirm, confirm myself. So you're asking your thirty thousand list. Guys, do you like this design or you don't? And please give us a feedback and you will get the discount if you want it, right? So you have this uh, very nice tricks, which I am going to ask you as well. Okay. So, uh, so, and when you're comparing those two opinions, uh, the data from your, so from your customer data is much more valid than Pickful, correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. they've already, they've already, purchased one of our designs in the past. So they obviously like Becca's style, right? Whereas PicView, it's like, I have no idea who's sitting on the other side of that computer. Did you ever, have you ever tried to uh, work maybe with PicFu and People's Pinion and I think uh, uh, People Fish? So yeah, it's some another software that also like comparing and uh, running this polls or not. We haven't tried any of those. Uh, yeah. We literally have only used our audience and then pick foo here and there. Which is generally speaking more than enough. Uh, got it. So question to Becca, when you've been uh, creating the designs, I want to believe that 100% of them have been successful, but I assume that not 100% actually were. So how did you feel when one of the designs been failing? Yeah, that can be tough because you put so much like blood, sweat and tears into every design. And a lot of times one that you'll love the most is the one that either is kind of just like the middle runner or even the bottom of the pack. Um, I think initially that was a lot harder to let go of. Um, but over time, it's kind of easier. And honestly, I don't really get into the weeds of that to see how 
poorly something may do occasionally. <laughs> Stays away from it. But to an extent, because it's important to know what is doing well yeah. so you can use it in other places and stuff like that. Um, but it's important not to be married to something that isn't doing well, even if it's your favorite. You know, you kind of have to separate your personal side from the success of the business. You have to learn to let go or you're never going to get anywhere. And so I think that is a lesson that we have learned over time. It can still be really hard because I've I love every design. I put so much time into it, you know, and so it's super fun to see when it does well. It's super fun when random people will text me and be like, oh my gosh, I just got your product. I didn't know it was yours. Like, I love that. I love brightening people's lives that way. And so I just, you know, pretend all of them do well, but no, it's, it can be tough, but I feel like we've gotten better over time. So you're trying not to take it personally, even if you want yeah. to. For sure. Yeah. You kind of have to separate it and just focus on what is doing well and the success of that instead of dwelling on what maybe didn't hit it like you'd like to have. So that sounds good. Uh, Josh, question to you. When you're doing the product research and you're using, how, first of all, how many softwares do you use to find the opportunity with the keywords? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, we don't use any software tools in order to like find new products at all. Um, all of that is done manually or by looking at like we are a very data driven um, business. And so I have team members that their entire job is sifting through the massive amounts of data that we collect through PPC um, and just the keyword research. I mean, we will use Helium 10 um, at, for like Cerebro to do like reverse searches on our, our products to see what the keywords are and things like that. But we're not going and using like Helium 10 black box to go find a new product opportunity. Yeah. Um, and then we'll also use data dive as well. So, you know, shout out to, you know, Brandon Young, love that software that, that they've been able to put together. Okay. Sounds good. It's, uh, it's what we do as well. Data dive, Helium 10. We're also spying we're doing the ad spy, uh, and traffic graph with smart scout and, um, we're using some, some features on seller tools when we put them on top of the Amazon Product Opportunity Explorer, because right now Amazon Product Opportunity Explorer, they released so many cool features mm -hmm. where you can see like, okay, so this is how it works and uh, some um, insights about uh, not just the purchase rate, but you can see what was happening over a year and how many units been sold by every single um seller however they still like they still have a lot of bugs so sometimes you cannot yeah. find the product you actually can see on amazon and it's like top performer and amazon is not even showing it in the search when you're going to this tool however i, I believe they will they will get there eventually because come on they started like one year and a half ago yeah building this tool and like they're still working great so you are uh, doing genuine speaking reverse research via data dive and uh, Helium 10. What indicators you're looking at when you're making a decision like Becca, we have to, you have to put now your sweat and tears and time to develop this specific product because this opportunity works. Yeah, so that, that's the core function of our business is coming out with new products. So we already know for the next 18 months, all the different products that we're going to be launching. And we typically average about 20, 30 new SKUs every single month coming out on Amazon. So like that, you can see like how important this is to the business that we're that far planned ahead. And we already know what we're going to be doing. So we're not making like knee jerk reactions like, oh, hey, Becca, I just stumbled upon this today. There's a huge process that our team goes through to vet and weed out a lot of product ideas. Um, some of those things that, that we'll weed out is if there's just a lot of, you know, overseas sellers that are racing to the bottom with a particular product, right? And if something's well below 999 and things like that, we'll, we'll avoid those type of situations. And we go into opportunities, um, you know, where there's a good market size. I think that's the thing that we've, learned and grown into. And as a mature business, it's more exciting because we can go into these more mature product categories that have huge market potential and be able to, you know, steal market share there rather than when we first started, it was, 
can I find a really, really niche opportunity where even if I'm making, you know, three to four sales a day, I'm happy. Now we're shooting for, hey, are we generating, you know, 50 to 100 sales a day for this particular product in order for it to become successful? So that's definitely been like the evolution. Um, and, and honestly, any seller that's listening, you need to assess your cash flow, right? And your finances. And that's the important thing that so many sellers overlook as I hear from other sellers, like how many people get scared to look at their financial statements or they don't even understand what they're looking at when they're looking at their financial statements. They don't understand how the cash flow works. And more often than not, that's why I feel like you see a lot of those, um, you know, I guess advanced payment solutions at many of the conferences that are like, hey, we're willing to give you your Amazon payout now, you know, and then you just pay us back when you get that Amazon distribution. Um, unless you're growing very quickly and you're a financial wizard and you've been able to calculate that interest rate and you know you're arbitraging that interest rate, your return is going to be greater than typically that pretty high interest rate <laughs> you're going to be paying for that loan. Um, you know, most often a lot of the sellers don't understand that you're only tanking your business even further. Um, and I would be, I'm always astonished. We go into certain product categories where we know some of the competitors that they have their products as oversized products, right? And what they're listing their products for sale for, I know they have to be losing money. Every single sale, they are losing money. And I think that happens more often than not with a lot of sellers as they not understanding. They yeah. don't understand the financials. They don't Please, understand no. the return mm -hmm. on their cash. And so anyways, uh, just a long pitch to say, just because you're listening to this interview, don't assume like, oh, they're doing all of this. They're getting into huge markets. That's what I need to do. Like you're talking to us, you know, eight years after our journey started. And if Correct. somebody's just starting, like you've got to start where we started, unless you're being backed by venture capital. That's a whole other conversation. But you guys, you've been bootstrapping. So you didn't borrow any money when you've been launching your Amazon business. Correct. No, no we like to say that our custom weddings are what our custom wedding invitations is what fueled our business from the beginning. Well, that and I, I call my job at American Airlines my venture capital. Like that is what paid the bills. And so we never took a dime out of the business for yeah. I mean, the business had been going on for four years before I ended up leaving my corporate job. So you can see like all we kept doing is just kept funneling money back into new products, new products, new products. And and very few people have that uh, willingness or level of patience to wait four years. Um, yeah, to start that's true. To, that's to, true. you know, start taking a salary out of the business. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you want to, you know, I know, I think, two type of sellers, like if you if we will divide the avatar of the sellers, like just by two, it will be sellers who are getting excited. Now I'm making 300k a year. And uh, so 300k is about $10,000 in profit per month. And they're super happy about it. So they're not growing, they're just calming themselves down. And I know the sellers who are making like over a million and they're not taking anything from the business because they want to keep growing. So it's generally speaking, two of them and like the number one avatar, they're ending up just with 300K and then this revenue is going down, as you know, because Amazon never will keep you on the float unless you're launching something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and another ones who are like you guys that keep growing and ending up with probably nine figures soon, right? Yeah. If, if your business is not growing, it's dying. And yeah. so if you're not, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the Amazon space is that it's passive income, yeah, yeah. right? Oh, you do this once and then you you're just good. make money while you sleep, release it online. Now you do make money while you sleep, but, but more you don't, you're not sitting on a beach for a month at a time yeah. and just being like, well, I released the product. I have nothing else to do. Like, oh my goodness, there is yeah. so much to do. Yeah, um, that's correct. So yeah, it, one of the biggest misconceptions. Yeah, when I hear this, like, oh, look, you can go to Alibaba and buy this product for three cents and 
resell it on Amazon for 30 bucks. This is how much you're making. I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, can you please shut up? Oh, it's such a no truth. Yeah, like you cannot say it to people. And so many people are misled and got excited, like, oh, I want to do Amazon. And then like Amazon is actually pretty technical and it's super hard. And like, yeah, if you want to do Amazon, you got to learn. And you're absolutely correct. You start, you have to start with the numbers. Another question, uh, you guys said that you have you have a plan for 18 months to launch so many SKUs. Mm -hmm. So the that data is getting old from month to month. Are mm -hmm. you like, do you go through like revalidating product before you launch it? Like for, for example, if like we will go 18 months back, it will be the middle of 2021 and we're in yeah. 2023. So it's a pretty big gap. So we don't know if the product that you found one and a half year ago is going to work today. Are you revalidating or not? Yeah, that's that's a great question. We actually talked about that in, at one of our leadership meetings yesterday. And uh, for one of the products that we had planned out, it was about 18 months ago when we did the initial research for it. And so, yeah, we always do kind of like we call our high level um, detailed research where it's like, okay, this makes sense. There's a, there's good, there's room for us in this market. And so we'll slot it into our, you know, product development launch uh, plans. But then the real crux of it starts, you know, three to four months prior to the launch of that product. We're going in very deep into the keywords. That's where we're, we're using data dive. I have strategies where we're combing through and I have team members that sort through literally thousands of keywords. They are keying in individually into Amazon and seeing what is being pulled up on that uh, on page one for those products. So yes, as it gets closer, we have a more refined and detailed um, research that we do. And then that's where we start building the titles, the bullets, the descriptions, all of that starts much closer to the launch date. So yeah, we're not creating the, the titles or designs, you know, 18 months um, in the past or ahead of schedule, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So you like the product you found 18 months ago and it's about to launch, it's about to go to the design, you're revalidating first and then you're starting the design and production. Yeah. Uh, I know a couple of products that have been very good performing. I didn't see if you guys are actually been selling those or not. It's wall collage, for example, one of the products. Uh, did you create some of those? No, we haven't gotten into that space. And that is that is the beauty of the design space is it's if endless. you think about it, what product can you not put a design on, right? And that's why we're so ambitious about what the future holds for yeah. what we're able to do is because like the opportunity to create designs on products it is literally endless so unfortunately that is not one of the uh, product categories we're currently in which is probably good because this is the example one like in 2021 during 2020 2021 this product was performing absolutely amazing like people have been making thousands and thousands of dollars out of this one because people uh, were closed in the houses and they tried to decorate and do all this crazy stuff. And then this opportunity became uh, to a lot of Amazon sellers and people started fighting for the price. And uh, here's the question. How many times have you seen uh, the situation when you've been launching the product and you've been going into the, uh, for example, $20, $25 or like, whatever the price you've been going to sell your product. And then you you had to find out that like this price actually doesn't fit market anymore. Have you been in the situation like those? I mean, you'd be better at answering that. You want me to answer this question? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the biggest differences is that, you know, we compete with a lot of overseas competitors that, like you said, um, all they know how to do is kind of copy. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we will go into a product category and we're always kind of the premium priced option. Um, always. We do not compete on price. Um, it's one thing that we, you know, th there is a, you know, there is a market price point. We're always at the top end of that because we know how important it is to be able to fund future product launches 
And at the end of the day, I'm not going to be working with single digit, you know, margin products, which many of the overseas sellers, that's, that's all they know how to do is do NAS volumes at really low um, margins. And so, uh, you know, we, we've created a premium brand and that's what I would encourage, you know, anybody that's, you know, in the U S and has a lot of overseas competitors. That's one thing that the overseas competitors don't know is they, they don't understand how the U S customer really like mm -hmm. works and what appeals to them from a premium standpoint. Um, they don't uh, understand like the designs and what's trending. Um, sure. They could go look online at things like that, but they don't understand like what speaks to the U S consumer to that extent. Yeah. And I mean, our products are premium themselves though, in comparison to quality in the markets that we're in, a lot of the overseas stuff is kind of, very you what you pay poor for. quality. Yeah, you, you truly get what you pay for. And so being the premium price, it's because it is the premium product, um, especially in design. You know, it's we put everything into that, but it's also they're all made in the USA. They're all great quality. Um, and that's where that's what we stand for instead of as cheap as we can, as quick as we can. Like, that's not what we do. Amazing. I love it. I was actually going to ask, are you guys manufacturing and like overseas or manufacturing in China or here? Well, that's really amazing. It's it's super impressive what you do. Uh, another question. I was. Are you tired of my questions? No, oh, we love your questions. <laughs> I'm always on my podcast. I'm always the one having to ask the questions. So it's refreshing being on the opposite end and sitting back and hearing your questions and being able to talk. I I could talk about ourselves all day long. That's easy. Okay, sounds good. So as a couple. Uh, of course, I can go deeper and deeper on Amazon stuff. And like, you know, actually, let's ask the last question about Amazon. I heard that you guys have been doing a lot of um, copyright for yourself. You mm -hmm. like you. Of course, you have a trademark. And I know you're working with the uh, with Rich uh, Galstein and he's helping you out uh, to do the copyright. So how just can you share with the listeners how you're approaching uh, the copyright, how you're defending yourself and how you're trying to stay away from copycats? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. It's a huge problem. Yeah, huge problem and something that we, you know, I was too naive, I think, at the beginning of the business. And so there were a lot of people that would copy our designs, like literally mimic them. It's ridiculous. Them. They'll even put our logo on it. And it's like, <laughs> okay, you didn't even try. Like, you literally didn't even try. Yeah. <laughs> Like you put but that's the thing, like he was saying about the overseas people who are doing that, they don't even understand the product, like, or they would know, like, oh, I'm not putting this part on, you know. So it's very naive, not understanding, but sorry. And yeah, at the time, you know, when we would get those people, is like, I don't know what to do with this, right? And so I'm glad, you know, I met Rich Goldstein at uh, a War Room Mastermind event, and we've been able to create a great um, partnership since. And so, yeah, we create um, copyrights and then design patents for all of our products. And what that allows us to do is anybody that starts even creating um, derivatives of our work where, you know, and that's the I'm glad that Amazon has like when each product launched, because it's so easy for us to be like you distinctly, like even if you didn't copy it specifically, you can tell that this is a derivative of our product. And we've been very successful at being able to get those taken down, being able to protect them with um, design pants. And so we've been able to be very successful at protecting those. And then it also has, I guess, lessened the competition to an extent because there's been more people, I think, at the beginning where they would just literally release whatever we released mm -hmm. and would copy us within three to six months. Now, because we've been so aggressive at you know filing takedowns because we've already done even before we launch a product we've already filed the copyright the design patent is already patent pending right and so we come out of the gates uh with with everything we're, we're ready to go to battle so that if somebody is like they copy us next week all right let's we'll send your takedown notice and and amazon's agreed and sided with us and we've even filed lawsuits against other people because like you can't do that. Um, and so to anybody that that is battling that, uh, I can't tell you enough how important that is. And also from in the future, like the value of your business, nobody wants to acquire a business that's not protected, that doesn't have a moat yeah. around them. And if you don't have that intellectual property 
um, you know, people are going to see that as a huge weakness. And so we see that as a moat for us to continue to stay relevant in the marketplace. And, you know, once competitors see that we actually protect our stuff and we'll fight back and yeah. we have a team that's out there every single day, their job is sorting through all of our products and finding copyright or finding copyright infringements and filing those. Right. And we have a lawyer that goes and, and reviews each of those. So like, we have a team now that we're able to afford and do that with. But again, that's that's not something that we had to begin with. Um, but once you cross a threshold where you can afford it, oh man, it, it's one of the most important things you can do to actually start building, you know, a, a moat around your business. So what is the threshold for you when you're supposed to actually go into the patent and copyright? Um, yeah, it, it depends, you know, Rich and I have worked out a great deal, um, for each other, like it, because we're sending him so much volume. I mean, typically, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like weekly at this point. Um, we do so much volume that we, we kind of get discounted rates, but on average, I mean, you're looking at paying like $5,000 for a design patent. Um, copyrights can be a little bit cheaper. Uh, so at what point does that make sense? so many factors you know, there's there's a lot to take into consideration like how confident are you like i have six years of launching products on amazon like i i have a very good idea of when something's going to succeed and not succeed and so my level of confidence like i'm able to predict that better than i have i would say it, it, at least having a business doing i don't know if i were just to throw out a number if you forced me to say i don't know maybe mm -hmm. three to five million and you've had at least a couple years of experience and you have a high level of confidence in your products. Um, but also one thing too, it, and then I'll let you talk. One thing about the design patents is that you have one year from the release of that product. Um, once it's been disclosed publicly to file that design patent. So if for somebody that's just launched a product um, and that's something you want to do, you're not at a loss right now. You could, you still have a year, but as soon as it hits that year mark, like you can no longer um, file for that design patent. So just a little. Yeah, that's true. Info. Yeah. And that's I mean, true. if you only have a handful of products too, it's probably worth the investment. Like yeah. for us, it's like, it's a huge quantity. So you've got to be smart about it. But it's like, if you just have a handful of products in your business, it's definitely worth considering for sure. I agree. Uh, I remember I lost uh, one of my products. Well, first of all, I was without experience and it was 2016. And I finally started selling this product like 1000 units uh, a month. And I was so happy. I'm like, damn, I'm making so much money. And then I got copycats and I didn't know what to do. And they kicked me out from the market. And I was so upset and I was so scared to move forward and do something where like, Right now, with the experience, I'm looking back and like, damn, I, I could fight back and I could keep my product running. But anyway, uh, you're absolutely correct here. One year since the moment you start, you can uh, file the patent and stay on the market. Uh, what well, is your. And yeah. Isabella, sorry, one thing I think that's just super important, you know, that I think your listeners should understand is the importance of just thinking outside the box and not yeah. copying people. If you want to have a product that succeeds, I think long gone are the days on Amazon where you can create me too products. Yeah. Those are long gone. What you need to do is you need to bring something fresh and brand new in whatever product category you're going into. There needs to be a very unique selling proposition for your product. Otherwise you are just, you're not going to be able to succeed in how competitive Amazon is now. I love it. I love it because this is something that we're preaching to our audience and you're just repeating everything. And uh, it's always good to know that like we are on the same page with the big, 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 big sellers. Uh, it's, I love it. Uh, when you're launching your product on Amazon, uh, how, like, what is the budget for PPC is in your head? Because again, you're different. You're already at eight figs. You have mm -hmm. your data, you have your clients that are helping you to rank the product. And genuinely speaking, your ACOS and TACOS will be always slower than any other brand new seller that is going to launch their product by default. Sure. 
So when you're launching your product right now, what is the daily budget per product in your head? That is a good question. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because my PPC manager, um, we do all of our PPC internally. And he asked me this, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, you already know my answer. I have a zero budget, like not zero budget. It's an unlimited budget. If a product is being profitable and our conversion rate is higher than the existing competition on Amazon, spend all day long. Um, and so we, we go into it with really no, no budget in mind. And I know that may fly against the minds of many financial people, people. are cringing inside right now, <laughs> um, but we go into it with just like, let the data speak for itself. And what we found is that the products that are going to do well, if we have a conversion rate, that's above the market average, then those are going to be profitable campaigns. And so why limit ourselves on the budget out of the gate? It's just, let's start. Um, now we do, I mean, we do have kind of some thresholds, like we set up each campaign with a $15 a day budget, but we're creating hundreds of campaigns. We do single keyword exact match campaigns. And so we have hundreds of campaigns that we're starting with. They all are getting, you know, $15 a day just to begin. But as soon as we get that first sale, like unlimited budget, if we're, we start hitting that, that conversion rate metric, um, that's ultimately what it's about. And we're not really paying attention to the a cost that that doesn't really matter at the end of the day what matters the most is what is my conversion rate for that specific keyword and that's also why i'm a huge proponent of single keyword campaigns because if you're not putting them into single keyword campaigns you don't know what your conversion rate is for each of those keywords in your campaigns you're just paying my soul <laughs> uh I, I i love it um how big is your team, guys? So answer that. You can answer that question. I've done all the talking. <laughs> yeah, we have about... It's not truth. She's answering <laughs> lots of questions. Yeah, I've talked you. a lot. I think we're, we're up to 25 yeah. now, about. Yeah, so we have 25 team members, a lot of team members overseas, the Philippines, Mexico. Um, we've been able to build a really great team. We couldn't be where we are today without them. And we have great SOPs in place that have been super helpful and... We just went on a family vacation a couple weeks ago, and it was really rewarding to see our business continue to move forward, even though we weren't in the day-to-day. -day. We were on a cruise. We didn't have Wi-Fi, you know, um, and that was really awesome to see our team make decisions and move things forward, and we're just so grateful to be at that point. It's definitely taken time. Um, we went many, many years with just probably less than five, maybe, yeah. 10, yeah. So, but we've gotten up to 25, and it's been awesome. Who's helping you guys uh, hire people? Oh, Josh is a magician when it comes to hiring. He's got a whole system in place. He is the hiring guru, I guess. I mean, he's put a lot of SOPs into place to be able to have other members of our team now take over parts of that, which has been really, really awesome. But he has built that whole thing himself. And I feel like it's credit to him that we have 25 awesome team members is through the the things that he's done. So Yeah, well, so that's what I spoke about. It's actually the keyword here. So where do you start when it comes to like, we need this person now? So where is the starting point? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, you know, it's a deep question with, yeah. uh, with many steps. I have it laid out. I have a full, I have a, I think it's a 50 minute episode just on my podcast, Ecom Breakthrough, um, that I walk through the steps that we use in order to hire. Um, but the mistake that most sellers make is that, just because you hear that we have a PPC manager doesn't mean you need to go out and hire a PPC manager. Just because we have a supply chain demand planning manager doesn't mean that you need to go out and hire a supply chain demand planning manager. What we've done in order to get to 25 team members, and this is your question, the first thing you have to get really good at is doing regular time studies identifying where the majority of your time is going. And so as soon as you notice, you know, you're, you're literally documenting what you do in 15 minute increments on a day to day basis. Sounds tedious, but this is how you start making the biggest moves in your business. Um, and so I noticed one of our first big hires, I would say that's really helped kind of exponentially grow us were two. 
We had one that was a project manager. Okay. And that's because as I looked at my day-to-day responsibilities, I was like, good grief. 90% of my time is just following up. Where's this? Where's that? What's the due date for this? What's the due date for that? And so we hired a project manager that was able to free that up, free all of that up. Then it was, oh, I'm spending all of my time on product research. Okay. Let's go hand that out. Let's go create an SOP. Let's go train somebody and, and get that off my shoulders. And so that's been the, the evolution of our team has just been, where am I spending most of my time? All right, let's get take this role off my plate and then upwards and onwards. But I think for the only way for that to be successful, though, is it's really important that you have an onboarding plan for them and that you have KPIs for them to meet that they're aware of from the get go, that you have SOPs in place, because it sounds really easy to be like, oh, I'm spending a lot of time doing this. Let's just hire this person. But the only way they're going to be successful is through several things like that. And when they are first hired, we have daily touch bases for for the first three months. Yeah. Yeah. We have a whole process. Um, I I can get super detailed with you on all of this. But the the one key thing that I would share with the audience is that don't just look at hiring overseas staff as like, I'm just hiring a VA. When we hire staff overseas, they are management level team members. They are not just a VA and we don't just call them a VA. We are actually hiring, like we have a supply chain manager that is overseas, right? With lots of corporate experience, right? Some of these people have worked for Del Monte or they've worked for Coca-Cola, IBM. Like these people have worked for large US corporations. They know what they're doing. So Um, it's not $400 a month employees. No, no, that's not. But it's a little bit more, but it's still a third of what you would be paying a US management level staff member here. What platform do you guys use when you're looking for these people? Yeah, so recruiting and sourcing your talent is one of the most important things and getting really good at doing this. We'll leverage Upwork. We'll leverage Indeed. We'll leverage onlinejobs.ph. And then we'll leverage Facebook groups. And our goal, and I have my executive assistant, she's kind of our HR manager as well, her goal every single time is at least a thousand applicants for every single role. Um, that's when we know very confidently if we can get a thousand applicants up front at the top of the funnel, at the very bottom of the funnel, we're going to get somebody that has a level talent to join us. That's what we talked initially about. Yeah, sounds like very, very true because out of 150, sometimes you cannot hire one person. Yep. yep. Well, Thank you for all these answers because it's super, super useful. And you guys actually uh, observed the whole situation, how it's supposed to be on the market since like uh, the from scratch to the very end when you have to hire people. And the question I wanted to ask you is the very, very personal. Uh, the last one. As a family, you're running business. So do you have... Of course you do. I believe you do have fights when like you disagree with each other about the business and how it's supposed to work. How are you solving those fights and uh, how are you going through the process to keep yourself with a good sanity, with love to each other, with respect and uh, making sure you still have this balance uh, inside of the family and inside of the business because you you both look like a very... Uh, you're complimenting each other and you seems like loving each other and you like the whole thing. So, and it's not super often the something that you can meet. Yeah, I think we're both very fortunate and I think we're both doing what is our passion for starters, which makes it easier. We don't, I think both of us could say we don't feel like we're working. We love what we do, but we, I would say we, we run our relationship and our family like its own business, kind of in its own way. We, and we've learned this over time, the importance of setting up yearly goals for our family, because it's so easy, especially as an entrepreneur, to get really caught up in how busy you are. We could be busy forever. We could get babysitters forever. We could have, you know, like if you're not making sure you're setting aside time for each other, for your relationship, for your children, for your goals, 
you're just going to be working all the time. And so that's made a huge difference for us. Like one of the things that we do is every other week is what it's turned into because life is really busy, (laughs) but a date night. And for me, for our relationship personally, that has just been, it's been crucial. So we, we get out of the house, we go try something new. We take turns planning it. We're intentionally doing something fun to connect with each other outside of business because it's just so refreshing. And I think whether you work together or not, it's really important to have that time with your spouse to reconnect, to have fun, to be kids again, because I think that makes your relationship really strong. Um, And we have we have regular meetings with one another weekly and monthly to touch on our goals as a family, as a couple. Um, And I think when there are issues that come up in the work situation, I think we both have gotten better over time of really letting the other person make a decision that's in their wheelhouse and trusting in that, whether you 100% agree or not, because we both 110% have the best intention for each other and for our business, and we can fully trust that. Um, And so working together, we both have the same vision overall for the business. We both have the same goals. And so we're able to kind of take a step back, not to say that we don't have our arguments, but we make sure that we let them go, especially when we are having family time and time together as a couple, like we separate, you know, it's time to be present in this mode, you know? So I think that's really important to have those set aside designated times to have also designated times that you do meet together to discuss problems in like a safe environment, mm-hmm. safe zone to overcome mm-hmm. and solve those problems rather than the moment of what's happening. Those are things that have been really helpful for us. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is just like having really defined roles it helps that like Becca's on the creative side of the business and I'm not questioning. I don't think that design looks very good. I think you should change this from blue to green, or I think we need to do X, Y, Z. Like, cause that's where a lot of tension would come. Yeah. And yeah. she's not coming over and being like, I don't think we should hire people this way. Or I don't think that we should be focusing on our PPC efforts in this way. And it's like, that's not in your wheelhouse. Right. So I think like having very clearly defined roles and and that helps whether you're a couple or not, like it just in, in team member management as well, like how critical that can be. Mm -hmm. And then separately, again, it it all comes down to like having those times to sit down and plan and discuss the business so that you can make sure that you do share the same vision, because if you're not communicating um, that's where a lot of the challenges and miscommunication all arises. I love it. Well, guys, I wish you the best. You're a great couple. You're absolutely amazing example for thousands and thousands of people. And uh, again, to be partners in such a harmony together, having like start and build and keep growing the business, having kids, manage all this and balance it is, I don't know. It, it, it's really great. It's it's amazing. And I hope we will be able to hang out with you one day somewhere together with our children. We have four now. Amazing. <laughs> so, so exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, like when it's uh, four parents and you have two, right? We have three. We have three. Oh, so it's like uh, four parents, seven kids. So, yeah, yeah I think <laughs> we fine. can have so much fun together. Uh, thank you for joining me today. It was it's been great for almost an hour and it's flew just like a minute. I hope you guys, all, all of you enjoying to listen to the podcast. Your experience is a real, real uh, world life, real example. Yeah. So, and yeah. And Isabella too, we're, we're also willing to help out any of your listeners. We love speaking to your, the community and helping other sellers. So if people have questions, um, I have my podcast Ecom Breakthrough. That's Ecom with two M's. So people Amazing. are welcome to reach out to me at Josh at EcomBreakthrough.com. That's my email. And then for Becca, she's also she's on TikTok. And so people can follow her on TikTok. Right. And if you want to give people your kind of name on TikTok and how they can reach Yeah, out to I you. heard about it and I, I totally forgot to ask. You have I think closer to Milan, right? I am at, what am I at now? 115. Yeah, 115, but getting there. It's So I am growing my personal TikTok to help people to follow their passion, specifically into graphic design. So my handle or whatever they officially call it is Becca 
B-E-C-C-A underscore A underscore Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y. So yeah, I would love to have people come join me on there as well as Instagram. I'm happy to answer any questions, especially I focus a lot on what it's like to work and be a full-time mom too and how to find that balance and be fulfilled in life that way. So I'd love to help anyone out or chat with anyone. Or if you just want to learn graphic design, you can join me there. So yeah and all these links will be right there guys and we are happy to share and we're happy to help everyone to grow their business on amazon and guys again thank you so much for joining today thank you for coming i know you're busy like every other entrepreneur and uh well achieve your nine figs soon uh -huh. <laughs> thank and you thank you for having me yeah yeah Thanks again. thank you guys yeah bye everyone <laughs>